0: Good morning, everybody. Cool. First Timothy chapter 4. If you want to open your Bibles, if you don't have one, the some in the back. And we're going to look at the first five verses. It's so weird seeing you out. You're always in kids, aren't you? Now yeah, you're blessed. So, First Timothy, uh, Second Timothy and Titus. They're often, these letters were often referred to as the pastoral epistles because these are letters written by the Apostle Paul to pastors in the early church. And following his, his first imprisonment in Rome, Paul decided, and he was led by the Holy Spirit, to revisit some of the churches that he had previously founded. And uh, one of those churches was the church in Ephesus. Um, where Timothy joined him. But Paul soon discovered that during his absence, false teachers had come into the church. So he instructed Timothy to stay in Ephesus to, in order to deal with the issues that were there. And there are quite a few. And these letters are Paul's instructions to Timothy on how to deal with those matters. Paul then traveled on to Macedonia Which is in modern-day Greece, where he wrote this letter between sixty-three and sixty-four A.D., and then he wrote his second letter to Timothy a couple of years later. So, in effect, these are like these are blueprints for the church. These are, you could say, instruction uh, manuals on how the church should behave. It's it's a biblical model for us today. So. it's just, it's just as relevant today as it was back then. They contain important doctrinal truths about Scripture, how to deal with church order. In other words, how we as believers should behave within a church body, within a church community. But this letter is also written to teach and to encourage. And as we know, Timothy was feeling the pressure, the responsibility of ministry. He wanted to get out of Eph- Ephesus. He had enough. Because remember, Timothy had to confront these, fo- these false teachers. And he was, getting, he was receiving a backlash from these men. So he needed encouragement. And Paul is doing just that in his letters to him. So in chapter 1, we saw how Paul emphasized to Timothy the importance of sound doctrine. In other words, proper teaching. Because obviously, know, God's word, it edifies, it builds up uh, the individual believers, and it equips the church uh, to work in ministry. Chapter 2, we saw Paul's instructions regarding the importance of prayer and the place of men and women within the church. And then in chapter 3, Paul gives Timothy instructions regarding the qualifications for elders, and we refer to those men as pastors, both for elders and deacons. And deacons, as we know, are are servants within the church. And this is so important because without sound, without godly uh, eldership, without godly pastors in the church, then God's word is not going to be taught, is it? It's just not going to be communicated to the people that need to hear it. And the reason why all these structures are so important is because we are, and as Paul said in in some of the finishing verses of last week's study, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, we are the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress, a pillar and foundation of the truth. So we must understand that the pillar and the foundation is the truth. It is the truth in this world of, of, you know, It is Jesus Christ, isn't it? It's the gospel message. And we've been called to proclaim it. We've been called to to place Jesus on a pillar for everybody to see. Because if the church doesn't preach and practice the gospel, then who's going to do it? How can this world know the truth if we as followers of Jesus Christ are not prepared to share our faith, in other words, open our mouths, but also live out our faith. And we finished in last week's sermon with, with a hymn. Paul um, gave a declaration of our faith, didn't he? In verse 16, he said, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world taken up in glory. So this is a confession that all true Christians should and must have. In other words, this is a confession that every believer here this morning must agree with. And this word mystery means a truth that had previously been hidden, but now has been revealed. And that confession, that truth is the work and the person of Jesus Christ, isn't it? And isn't that what Paul expected from Timothy? Paul expected, he, he encouraged, actually he went a bit, but he went a step further. He commanded Timothy to teach, to preach, and live out the truth of God. So here in these first few verses of chapter 4, Paul reveals the source behind this false teaching. Behind the false teaching in Ephesus. Ephesus and behind the false teaching in every church since since then. And the source of the lie, it's deceiving spirits and demons. It's the devil, isn't it? It's Satan himself. So you can be sure that whenever God's word is being proclaimed, whenever the truth of God's word is being lived out, Satan will be behind the scenes, trying his best, To put a stop to it. Jesus said of Satan. When he lies. He speaks out of his own character. For he is a liar. And the father of all lies. So how does Satan stop the good news. About Jesus from being taught. Well he replaces God's truth. With a lie. And he does this by infiltrating the church. With with false teachers. Knowing that there are some because of whether it 's because of their their ignorance of the gospel or, or god 's word or because of their flesh, there are some who are more than happy to ignore what god 's word actually says. These people actually they, they seek out teachers to suit their own passions, so we shouldn 't be surprised when Satan uses people. Who claim to be Christians to accomplish his work. And we know from previous teachings that this isn't the first time that Paul warned the Tim that Paul warned Timothy and us here this morning about those people who will abandon their faith, who will walk away, while encouraging other people to do, to do the same. Paul warned this church. He warned the Ephesians as he was leaving, and it's recorded in Acts chapter 20. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, so this is among uh, people within the church, will arise men speaking twisted things, so perverting God's word. For what purpose? To draw away disciples after them. You know, these elders in Ephesus, they wanted the praise. They wanted the focus on them and not Jesus. And that's exactly what a lot of, I won't say a lot, but that's exactly what some preachers and pastors do these days. It's about personality. It's about them. What they think. It's not about God's word. So these false teachers, they, they worked their way into positions of authority, and they were leading people astray. And that's why Paul is speaking here in, in the opening part of this section, and the header on this section is, Some will depart from the faith. So in these first few verses, Paul gives us a prediction of apostasy. So what's Apostasy. It's someone who abandons their faith, who walks away from it. Um, and this is due to demonically inspired teaching from those who have made a shipwreck of their faith. So let's read First, Tim, First Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 5. Never thought I'd say this, but it's really warm in here, isn't it? It's absolutely roasting. Now the Spirit expressively says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. For it is made holy by the word of God and by, and prayer. So let's go back to verse one. And it says, Now the Spirit expressively says. So this word means that the Spirit makes it 100% clear that this is not open to debate whatsoever. That in the latter times, that in the last days... Some will depart from the faith. So when do these latter days begin? Well, they began with when Jesus, uh, when Jesus was born. They began his incarnation. And when do these end days uh, finish? With when Jesus comes back for us, his church. So that's the rapture. So when we're raptured out of it, out of this place, out of this earth, that is then the end of the church age. So we are living in those times, aren't we? We are looking forward to when Jesus comes to get us. And this departing from the faith, it is happening today. Paul speaks of a time when people will walk away from the essential teachings of the Christian faith. So the question that you may be asking here is that, can I lose my salvation Some denominations teach that you can, but God's word says that you cannot. Because if you remember what Jesus says in John chapter 10, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So that is a guarantee. When you accept Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ who is described of in this, in the word of God, you are sealed you belong to Christ nobody can snatch you out of his hands and that's something to celebrate isn't it we can have a confidence in that we are we are justified before God the father but their status but our status in Christ does not stop us from walking away from God and i'm sure there's a few people here today that know people who are believers, who are Christians, who are saved, but have just walked away. They don't come to church anymore. They don't fellowship. They're not interested. They're doing their own thing. And why did they, why did they do that? Because they have been deceived. Some people are deceived because of their flesh, because of the world tempts them away from the church. And other people are deceived actually in the church by people standing up here, by pastors teaching false doctrine, false teaching. In Second Timothy, Paul writes chapter 3, that in the last days, perilous times will come. So who are those, who's going to be in these perilous times? It's us. It's Christians. Those perilous times will be for us. And only those who are committed to the faith will stand. You know, there is a day coming where there will be no more lukewarm Christians. There will be no more people sitting on the fence. Because the price, the sacrifice required of them to follow Jesus will just be too great. And we see people making the ultimate sacrifice, don't we? throughout this world with a gun to their head, with a knife to their throat, and are asked, deny Jesus. You can't sit on the fence there, can you? You can't say, look, can I come back to you next week about it? People are giving their lives for Jesus Christ. So speaking of the signs of the end of the age, Jesus, Jesus told his followers, his disciples, he warned us, that many false prophets will arise and what? Lead many astray. In, In Timothy's second letter, he said, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itchy ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers or preachers, pastors, to suit their own passions. Maybe that happened in this church. Maybe something was taught from this pulpit that somebody did not agree with. And I said, well, I'm, I'm going over there. They don't talk about that stuff. That stuff kind of makes me comfortable. Jude 1, verse 18. In the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. And Paul here in this morning's text warns that in the latter's, latter times, people will depart from the faith. They will depart from the word of God. And by doing that, they will allow themselves to be deceived by individuals who first appear to be believers, but who are really wolves. Wolves in sheep's clothing. Did I say sheeps? Jude 1, 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. This is what was happening in Ephesus. These leaders were perverting the grace of God. They were saying, here's the gospel and here's the law of Moses. You've got you to gotta juggle both of these and as we know, there's nothing wrong with the Old Testament. There's nothing wrong with the law. Because the law points to who? It points to Jesus. It makes us understand. It makes us realize that salvation is only through one man. One God, and that's Jesus Christ. So the faith that Paul speaks of here is what the Bible actually says. It's sound doctrine. And our Bibles are a complete A complete revelation from God. And if it's complete, then there's no need to add anything, is there? There's no need to take anything away. In fact, there's a warning about those people who do that. But some will depart from what the Bible teaches. From what they once believed. And this will happen because, as we see in verse 1, they have devoted themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of what of of demons this world knows <clears throat> excuse me all about the teachings of demons cuz it's it's chasing after them and we see and hear this all the time and especially with with today's media and it's absolutely relentless. The spirit of this age will tell you that homosexuality and gay marriage is something to be celebrated. And that's what they're telling us, isn't it? The spirit of this world will tell you that abortion is a woman's right in a free and, in a free and democratic society. That's what they're saying. The spirit of this world will tell you that the nation Israel has absolutely no right to exist. And that the the Jewish people are but brutish occupiers of a land that does not belong to them. It's constantly on the news. Israel daily is on the news. And again, the word of God said that this would happen. If you agree with any of the above mentioned, you will be shouted down. You will be intimidated. You will be bu- uh, bullied. And we will be seen as everything that is wrong with this world. Oh, if we could only get rid of the Christians. These deceiving spirits are trying to twist and destroy society. And guess what their number one target is? It's you, it's me, it's the church. And as I mentioned last week, there are lots of, te- lots of churches out there not teaching God's word. They're not. But why is that? Because people do not have the stomach for the truth. They do not have a passion for God's word. They want a the Sunday message that is easy on the palate. Something funny and entertaining. So that they can walk through those doors feeling, feeling great about themselves. That's not church. Romans 1.25. They would gladly exchange the truth about God for what? For a lie. And there are plenty of pastors happy to, to accommodate them. There's lots out there. Why is this a reality in churches across the world? Because we are living in the last days. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Whether or not, whether they know it or not, these false teachers are receiving their inspiration from Satan. They deviate from God's word. And simply put, anything that's not in the word of God is from Satan. Because Satan, he knows the Bible. He knows every word. He knows it inside out. In fact, he twisted God's word in an attempt to tempt Jesus in the desert, didn't he? He tried to use God's word, Jesus' word, against him. And that's what we see in so many cults today. It's what we see in the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses. They appear to be so knowledgeable when it comes to God's word. But as Warren Wearsby said... The first test of any religious doctrine, any teaching, is what it says about Jesus Christ. What did the Jehovah Witness say who Jesus is? They say that He is an angel. He's actually Michael the, the Archangel, that Jesus is the first creation of Jehovah God. That's not what my Bible says. They reject the Trinity, believing that the Holy Spirit is just the the working of God. That's not what my Bible says. And in an attempt to justify their false teachings, they decided to make up their own Bible. So if you want to open to John chapter 1, verse 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1. This is just an example of what these people do. John 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, which is Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, in their made-up Bible, the Jehovah Witnesses, they translate this verse as this. In the beginning was the Word, yeah, and the Word was with God, Fine. And the word was a God. See what they did? They added to God's word. They put this tiny little letter in there, A. They believe that Jesus is a God, one of many gods. They see Jesus as some sort of a a junior, as some sort of an, an assistant to God. And by you by you doing good works here on earth, you too can become a God as well. And isn't that the lie that, that Satan fed Eve in the garden? That if she questions God's word, if she disobeyed that word by eating the forbidden fruit, then she too could become like God. It's the same lie, isn't it? And this, in Genesis 3, 5, this was the first ever demonic doctrine. The first ever demonic teaching. And the frightening thing about these cults is that they target the church. We are their focus. Their outreaches, and this is in their manuals, their outreaches are focused towards Christians. And as a result, the majority of their new converts actually come from a Christian background, whatever denomination that may be. And these cults are growing. I'm not picking on the Jehovah Witnesses here, but there's many more like them out there. They have an estimated membership of anything up to 30 million members. And they're growing year by year. We know these people best from, from calling to our doors with the Watchtower magazine. I visited my dad yesterday, and he, he said, look look, was dropped in the door. He said they were lovely people, really friendly, um, and it was the Watchtower magazine. So I explained to dad who, who they were and what they were preaching, and I, I tore it up and I threw it in the bin. You don't want that stuff in your house, you know? So, as my dad said, they were well presented, and they disguised themselves as servants of righteousness in their nice suits and their big smiles, don't they? as they preach another Jesus, another gospel, as they teach the doctrine of demons. And guys, we need to be aware of this. We need to be aware. And if you're not sure, someone approaches you, if you're not sure what their doctrine is, just ask them, who do you say Jesus is? And take it from there. First John 4, 1 John 4.1, this is the New Living Translation. It says, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For, uh, for there are many false prophets in the world, and there really are. If, any, if anyone teaches anything that does not line up with the Word of God, then reject it. Reject it. So verse 2. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciousness whose consciences are seared, so these people are hypocrites. they know what they should be teaching, but they decide not to. They know what the truth is, but they decide to teach a lie, and they mix these lies with the truth to try and confuse and control. They ignore their own conscience so so long. And they have lied so long that their own conscience has been seared. Their hearts have been burnt to a crisp. They have lost all sensitivity to what is right and to what is wrong. But how did this happen? How can we as believers destroy our conscience? By willfully and persistently doing what we know to be wrong. I'll say that again. By willfully and persistently doing what we know to be wrong. And then it just becomes a run-of-the-mill sin. Something you always do. Something that's, ah, that's fine. God will understand. It's not how it works. Jesus warned us about these false prophets in Matthew 24. He said, for many, many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Such religious leaders knowingly ignore what the Bible teaches in order to deceive people. And unless you and I are grounded in God's word, then we too can be easily swept away. And these guys are, and women as well, they can be very charismatic preachers, can't they? Romans sixteen eighteen for such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appet- appetites, and by smooth talk and flattery they deceive the hearts of the naive. Paul describes them perfectly in his letter to this church in Ephesus uh, in Ephesus four nineteen. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. And we see them on TV. We see them on the internet. It's all about the money for these people. They're not promoting Jesus, they're not putting Christ on a pedestal, on a pillar. But they're promoting their latest self-help book, aren't they? Which you can also buy on a DVD pack. And if you buy this this week, the first 500 people will get a free tissue that has been sneezed in by the preacher, and it will heal you. That's the stuff they're selling. Mine are a lot cheaper. They're in the back. (laughs) It's crazy stuff. But people fall to it. People are deceived by this. Remember that any deviation from what Scripture says is what? It's false teaching. And Paul warned the church in, uh, the church in Thessalonica. He said, let no one deceive you. <clears throat> so we need to be in God's word, don't we? We need to be studying it. The true gospel of Jesus Christ will set you free. Anything else will imprison you with with its legalism and its dead religion, its do's and don'ts. You join these cults and they will throw upon your shoulders a list of rules and regulations. And it's all about control and distraction. And before you know, you're up to your neck in it. If you miss a Sunday, if you miss a Tide payment, they're knocking on your door wondering why. I'm looking for addresses. You write your addresses in the back. No, I'm not. That's what these people do. Intimidation. Bullying. Control. It's not about Jesus. Paul now mentions two teachings that were particular to the church in Ephesus. Two teachers that these false elders, that these men were were, were teaching, were trying to get the church to practice. They were... F- they were saying marriage was bad and that you had to abstain from certain foods okay so again i'll say there is nothing wrong with being single if that's god's will for your life there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with it but when it's been taught as a condition for greater spirituality when it's been taught as a condition to get closer to god then that's wrong genesis 2:24 Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So that's what God has to say about it. And anything else, if someone tries to tell you anything different, it's a teaching of demons. And I'm not saying this. This is what Paul is saying. Jesus said to the Pharisees, They worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. The Bible does not demand celibacy of church leaders. In fact, Paul expected most church leaders to be married. And that's why we saw the, the list of qualifications for, um, for, for, for elders within the church and for deacons. The Roman Catholic Church, as we know, demand that priests remain single. That's, that's unbiblical. It's a teaching of demons. But these false teachers in Ephesus were also teaching that certain foods were off limits. They required, as it says in verse 3, abstinence from foods. You see, they taught that self-denial was a way to get closer to God. But again, it was about control and power, wasn't it? Mark 7. Jesus said regarding food, he said, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside Cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. And then it says, Thus he declared all foods clean. Paul wrote, Food does not bring us near to God. We are no worse if we do not eat, or no better if we do. 1 Corinthians 8 8. Depriving your flesh is not going to bring you closer to God. So you are not going to be more holy if you decide not to eat that chocolate cake or those barbecue ribs. Verse 3, these guys, they were forbidding marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So Paul here refers to, to believers in the body. And when we believe and know the truth, we will not be deceived by these teachers. We won't. So if you meet someone from another church and you say, well, look, you're not allowed to eat meat on on, on Fridays. Well, just say, well, you show me in the Bible where that that is and I'll be happy to to follow along. It's not in there. For everything created by God is good. Verse 4. God said in Genesis one hundred thirty one and God saw everything that he had made and behold it was very good. God said to Noah, Genesis nine three, every moving thing that lit that lives shall be food for you. And as I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. So it's not wrong to eat meat. Why? Because God said so. And because nothing is to be rejected, but received with thanksgiving. So, as long as the Word of God says it's okay, and it does, and we, of course, give thanksgiving for the food that we are about to receive, then it's okay to eat anything. Now, obviously, if you're a diabetic, you, you can't eat everything, can you? Or if you have allergies, you can't eat whatever you want. But no food is to be rejected for spiritual re- uh, reasons, so teaching that, that demands celibacy and or banning certain foods is demonically inspired. And that's what Paul is telling the church here. This is what he's telling Timothy. And how do we know that? Because those rules and regulations are not found in scripture. You may say, well, what about the nation Israel? God gave them their regulations to keep them separate from the nations around them. So such rules and regulations are introduced, as I said earlier, by pastors and leaders of certain churches to try and control them, isn't it? And to distract them from people from the truth, from what really matters. And what really matters is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Amen? So as the worship team comes up, I'll just remind you that we have the elements of communion in the back. And if you need prayer, I'm more than happy to pray for you. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for today, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that your revelation to us is absolutely complete, Lord. That we must not, we don't have to add or take away from your word. And we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for the the truth, that we have it, that we know it, Lord God. And Jesus, I ask you to remind us daily to pick up your word, to study it, to spend time in prayer with you, Lord. And Lord, give us a voice to declare you, Jesus, to, to live your gospel out. And Lord, remind us to pray for those people who are being deceived. Lord, remind us to pray for the deceivers, Lord. Because that's what the Apostle Paul once was. And you transformed his life. So Lord, remind us to lift these people up in prayer. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your sacrifice. That sacrifice on the cross, Lord. We thank you for the the body that was broken for us. And your blood that was spilt. We worship you now, Jesus. And Holy Spirit... We just thank you so much. Guide us, lead us, protect us. Bind the enemy from me. Bind the enemy from this church, Lord, from this building. And Lord, we're going to worship you now, Lord God. And Lord, it's, it's an absolute privilege. In your name, Jesus Christ, we pray all these things. Amen.